you've heard me talk about it before, and I'm truly not joking. I'm being 100% genuine. I love Doc Spartan products. I use it every day. I talk about the Sex Panther beard bomb. That's literally what is in my beard right now. And I use all of the scrubs, my favorite being the coffee scrub, just in the shower, gives you the tingles, gives you the feels. I love it. And there's so many other great products. I use their deodorant. I've used their hand care when I've had tears. Just check them out. It's veteran owned, you know, guy that was in the military serving our country, Dale. I got to know him over the years and he's just a great dude. And I started buying his products and he reached out to me and said, hey, we want to support the show and we appreciate it. And I just want you guys to not only support Doc Spartan and Dale, but also reap the benefits. If you want to be sexy like me, then you want to check out Doc Spartan products, 15% off with the code best hour. That's best hour for 15% off anything at their website, docspartan.com. Check out the coffee scrub and definitely check out the beard balm. And ladies, there's stuff for you too. So head on over to docspartan.com, use the code best hour and save 15%. We are here because we are dedicated to helping the entire CrossFit community. Determined to elevate coaches, box owners, athletes, and everything in between, we believe that this mission will begin right here, right now. While this time and this goal begins with you, our hope is that you take this fire ignited within you and weave it into your own life with the same unrelenting passion to give those you have the privilege of coming in contact with the best hour of their day. All right, one of our most requested, talked about guests who've been on before, and he's back. It's been a while. There's been a pandemic. There's been a few other things happening in the world, but Stu Brower, welcome back. Thank you, brother. How are you? I'm great. So... Yeah, like I said, we, you know, we haven't talked, I mean, we've talked offline, but we've not sure. talked on the podcast since everything went down. So talk to me about what it's been like for you. Uh, you know, we, it was like just right, right on St. Patrick's Day. I think it was for most people. We got the mandate in North Carolina to shut down. So we shut down, we pivot quick, we rent out equipment. I believe in 10 to 12 days, we uh, had our, um, our remote service movement anywhere out there into the world. And then that was great. So we had a quick pivot. Um, we did really well. We retained at a very, very high percentage, very grateful for that. And then we opened up a little bit early against mandate. Uh, when the money started to run out, the PPP money was gone. We jumped the gun early. It was kind of what everybody in the fitness industry in Charlotte was doing. So we didn't catch any backlash from there. And we just been kind of trudging through just like everybody else ever since. Uh, so the gym has, has retained well. It's grown extremely slow. Like many other people, we had some crazy high sales months when we first reopened, but very much like the fourth quarter of any, any, uh, any gym in the, in the United States, you know, November, December, January time can get a little, it just gets a little slow. So all that being said, it was kind of a good timing for us. We were launching our license model for urban movement, um, which came from an idea we were going to franchise it. And then with everything going on, I, I didn't see the price tag that would have had to be on a franchise being something the market was going to respond favorably to. So we opened a license model. Um, we did some unique things with it that I hadn't seen anyone else do with the license thing. I started reaching out to people. I got to talk to uh, my buddy, Jason over at NC fit who who's also, he launched one back during the, uh, what we call it, the the CrossFit PR explosion of uh of the summer of 2020, right? That's true. We haven't uh, spoken about that either. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, he had very very good timing. Um, I brought on J I uh, started working with Jim Crowell, who's the former CEO of OPEX, who grew their license model very successfully uh, to almost 80 units, I believe, before he left as the CEO. So that it was a good time for the gym to kind of slow down for us because we were working on this other thing. Um, but yeah, then since that, you know, we just been kind of watching all of it. I don't know if you saw earlier today, Google just purchased Fitbit. That's no, I didn't see that. Literally, okay. it's news that literally, I think it's maybe two hours old. Uh, so Google's purchased Fitbit, Peloton purchased Precore, some very cool, random, cool thing. Uh, not random, but um, some very interesting things shaking up in the fitness space. Precore, that, that, uh, 
brings me back to the elliptical days at the They're global They're the largest gym. domestic manufacturer and builder of uh, equipment in the United States. And if anyone has had, anyone listening has a Peloton, Peloton was designed for you to ride it one time a day, maybe three to four days a week, and then eventually one time a day, maybe once a week, and then never. It's not a commercial piece of equipment. And anyone who's had a Peloton for over 365 days, it breaks. We're coming it's up not, on, yeah. We've got yeah. one. We're coming up on a year. So far, so good, but... okay. It's not great hardware. It's amazing software because they're a tech company, not a hardware company. So them purchasing Precore to me, was, I mean, that was a dumb move. It gives them domestic manufacturing, better bikes, um, and they'll be able to start playing in other spaces, treads, row, all the, all the other things they make. There'll be this amazing uh, digital integration into. So let, I want to ask you, I mean, you, you've been outspoken about a lot of things, but I think you're outspoken about just about everything that comes up. But <laughs> let's... Uh, Talk to me about what was going through your mind during, like you said, the PR explosion. You know, because you're no longer an affiliate for the record. Correct, but I'm I'm still I would I would still to this day I put Greg Glassman probably my top five speakers. Like I, I never got to see him speak publicly in person, but I would still even to this day I remember I was giving. Um, a keynote at a place in Seattle for a conference. And I listened to one of Greg's talks before that. He was honestly one of the first things in college when I would listen to him speak, I'd be like, Oh my God, like I would love, I, I would love to have his ability to do what he does on stage. Um, so, well, well, I mean, yeah, Ferns referred to him as kind of like, there's that term of like the charismatic leader, but yeah. doesn't quite do everything else well, but man, he gets you fired up. And yeah, I, I think he certainly, Fits that bill. Who would be your Mount Rushmore speakers? You said top five, but let's let's narrow it down to four. Would he be on there? Uh, if from there it goes to the stand-up comedians. I grew up on. Oh, dude, comedy. that's what George, we have in common. Yeah, George Carlin is probably my absolute number one. Um, I go to Eddie Murphy on top of that. Uh, the Bill Burrs and Louis C.K.s of the world, those guys, that they fall in there as well. Um, and honestly, you have to just, say them as redheads? Do you have to? Yeah, as gingers. Yeah, I just I have to. It's just part of that ginger love, right? A lot of F-bombs, a lot of red hair. And then, you know, I've been watching a lot of uh, the interview, you know, not public speaking, but I've actually during the pandemic, I've never been a podcast guy. Like I, you know, I create mine, like you create yours and I come on podcasts, but I'm not a consumer during the podcast. Uh, the pandemic, I became one more. And I really did. And not to jump on the bandwagon, but I really became a huge uh, fan of the interview style of long form guys like Joe Rogan, um, like Guy Raz on NPR, uh, Ferris. And, and so some of those, like just that's kind of like my Mount Rushmore of like this different, you know, candidates and, and categories of people who orate very efficiently. Yeah, I think you have a couple of different categories there. You have just the great public speakers, Greg Glassman, yeah. Who, who through, you know, and I think any great public speaker holds your attention with some funny bits or, you know, some, sure. some comedy thrown in there. But then you have the comedians who I think are underappreciated as great public speakers. And then interviewers like the Rogans. I think you'd like Malcolm Gladwell and Seth Godin. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, Seth is, uh, yeah. I mean, I probably read This Is Marketing at least probably once a quarter, right? Uh, you know, his purple cow. I mean, all his stuff is absolutely great. I just um, listened to him on Tim Ferriss speaking of. So I think, oh, did you? Great, yeah. great. You know, you can find that. It's a recent interview because he has a new book out. But I think that's probably what you and I have in common about uh, being offended. I was, you know, I don't think you, you cannot offend me. And I say that because I grew up watching comedians and, you know, that. Something all comedians say is it's it's not offensive if it's funny. And hundred percent. And how old are you, Jay? Forty two. So I'm okay, a little so older than you, right? A little bit, yeah. I'm thirty five. But like okay. you're so. I grew up on South Park. Like mm -hmm. how in the world, Beavis and Butthead? Like there is like I when I see someone in my generation like get offended by something someone says, I'm like, bro, come on. Man, we grew up on the most offensive stuff ever. Like Trey Parker and Matt Stone made it so that you shouldn't, you know, the Simpsons and Family Guy. Like this was just like your childhood grow up that, you know, should probably have put you in a pretty tough skin situation, in my opinion. And I think just that, you know, the late 80s and 90s when I was, you know, a kid and teenager, it's just like you busted each other's balls. You goofed on each other. I mean, I don't know about you. I think a lot for me also was influenced by the wrestling room where it was like not only we would just – no one was harder on us than our teammates physically and mentally. So it's yeah. like, you're, you think you're going to offend me by calling me short or anything else? Like not a chance. No, I grew up. I, I lived with nothing but wrestlers in my fraternity house. I was the only non-wrestler. It was like, what all fraternity wrestlers. were you in? 
Uh, it was a, it's not a national one. It's called Ulster. It's named after Northern Providence in Ireland. It's just a small local one in this school I went to in Southeast Ohio, but it was all wrestlers and me. And I was just a strength and conditioning dude. And like, that was my, like my fit, but those guys were just heinous on each other. Like the most quintessential group of guys and like, quote unquote, locker room talk. Like if you want to like c- categorize it like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, and it's also like we grew up in the come up of Eminem. And like, I mean, like, and you know, Tom Green, like there's like, yeah. this is just all the influences of my childhood that, yeah, I, I, I don't think I could get offended now either. Yeah. And like you, I went from the wrestling room, you know, to the fraternity house and you're right. It's just, I think that generation, we're like the last generation of men that will, that will grow up going. Cause even now having coached wrestling at that level and then just seeing it, it you know, everything is so, you know, speaking of just so PC and everyone gets offended at every, I mean, I put the term soccer mom out there, literally just asking like, Hey, who is offended by this? And surprised that people were, and it's like, look, by the term know, soccer, by the label of soccer mom. Yeah. So, you know, there's the soccer mom class at every box or sure, every yeah. gym. And my wife has said, you know, I wonder if that term is, you know, we had a, just a discussion. Is that term offensive? Cause she's going to be a mom. And she said, I would be offended by that because the implication is, hey, you drive your kids around, you don't work. <laughs> Even though that's just how you're interpreting it. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, and again, it goes back to you can only be offended if you let it offend you. I agree. And I, but I also do believe, and I don't believe in, um, I don't believe in stereotypes that have negative uh, intent, hostile intent, malicious intent behind them. But a stereotype is something that you've seen on repeat that has come true historically. Like right now it's, uh, it's overcast in Charlotte. I walked out this morning and I literally saw just the way this sky. I'm like, Oh, today's gonna be a shit day. It's gonna be a shit day. That's a stereotype. I've had days where I've come out and it's overcast and it turns out to be beautiful, but like a stereotype. So if a soccer mom, I think that's so funny. Cause my mom, she was the antithesis soccer mom. She showed up three hours late to pick me. She was a single mom picking me and my sister up from sports. But like the, there was the moms that they maybe didn't work. Uh, they picked the kids up from school. The husband worked. And I think that's like where that niche came in. And then we kind of use a broad stroke. And we paint it to any woman who shows up in a minivan, you know, at sporting events. Yeah, or but, works uh, out at 9 a.m. Yeah, correct. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> so you know, I grew up in a Jewish family. I mean, I still say I'm Jewish, but I don't practice. And yeah, I'm frugal. Like that stereotype fits. And, yeah. you know, so yeah, you can make fun of me all you want. I'm just like, okay, that's cool. Like it doesn't, yeah. yeah. But anyway, going back to the, the PR, the PR explosion. What, what were your thoughts? So going, you know, where I started with that was, you know, Greg being an amazing orator. He also, if you've watched any of it, watch his 60 minutes, watch any of like the off camera stuff that it may, has made it to the interwebs. And you'll see he's a bombastic guy, you know, me and him have that in common. We, he give he gives zero fucks. He's, he's, um, and, and I understand that, it, you know, when the, when the Strump, uh, his, his podcast came out, he was talking a little bit more about the me too side of things versus, um, the insensitive, ill-timed, more racially charged around George Floyd comments. I, I was more, um, I, I was one of these things where like, this is why he was never the official mouthpiece for the brand. Everyone always wanted Greg to speak more. And I think behind the scenes and you guys would know better than I would. Um, my guess is that was probably like, yeah, it's probably, he doesn't want to, and nor is it probably a really good idea. Like, yeah, you know, I, I would say he, I would say he probably did want to knowing him, but people that were a little, you know, he was also intelligent enough to put people, you know, it's like the people that use blockers on their computer to, so they can't get on social media. Like I I know I'm going to put something bad on there. So let me be proactive. And I mean, he would brag about having, you know, like 40 attorneys. And I think it was, it was, you know, proactiveness. So, but when that happened and it dropped, I mean, it was, it was unfortunate. I truly think the guy has done more for the, in the realm of uh, health and wellness and fitness than anybody else uh, since Jack Lane. And the way I look at this is uh, there was immediate reaction from people because just at the time, and do I put a black square up for George Floyd and, you know, be, you know, BLM. And I think a lot of people acted uh, emotionally and you had a lot of gyms say they were deaffiliating and then they had to walk it backwards when they realized, holy shit. I, I don't have a life vest to hold on to. If I'm not CrossFit Northeast, what the fuck am I? You know, like I have no identity besides this. And, and so I saw a lot of that and that made me chuckle a little bit at the, at the gym owner who was just a little too much, too reaction uh, based on emotion. Um, and then I also, you know, 
it kind of, um, you know, you know my shtick. I've been talking about establishing a brand, not de-affiliating necessarily, but like having something that's your own and being able to stand on your own two legs. Um, and I think the joke I always used, I mean, this is for years now, I would always say, Hey, if Greg Glassman comes out to be the Jerry Sandusky of 2018, and then it was 2019 and 20, if that happened, what would you do? And now all of a sudden, boom, that recall video comes out. It's like people shit the bed. They, they didn't know what to do. And other people rounded the, you know, got the wagons together and said, Hey, no, he's one guy. He doesn't represent the entire thing. They're going to take care of house internally at, at, at HQ. I'm going to just keep doing, helping all the right people for all the right reasons. And, and so there's kind of those two camps and I just kind of sat back and, and watched, um, and was really proud of the gyms that stood their ground and stay CrossFit affiliates and had, you know, were able to separate that. I was also proud of the gyms that use this kind of as the catalyst to knock them off the fence. And they really have been wanting to pursue their own brand. And now was just a perfect timing. So, um, I, I, I really think the only people that really lost there were the people who jumped off and then had to backpedal and send another crisis communication to their members. Okay, I know we said we were de-affiliating, but based on Eric Rosen, blah, 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 we're actually going to stay an affiliate, blah. I think that makes you look a, a tad bit foolish. Yeah, I think we have the same exact stance on that. I was I was disappointed by the boxes that were jumping off, but still doing CrossFit. Like just removing the name CrossFit does not mean you're no longer across. It means you're not paying $3,000 or, mm. or whatever your affiliate dues are, but we all know what you're doing. Sure. And, you know, and I, like you said, I think a lot of those, whether it's backpedaled or, or came back and I understand that, you know, my good friend, David from South Brooklyn runs a team program where they were like, Hey, are we not welcome here? Because, you know, we're color, you know, people of color or whatever. And it's like, Hey, I understand you have to take a stance. But those were the few and far in between that were doing it for the right reasons because they were trying to do right by their community. So I agree. what what about um, what went on throughout the pandemic? I mean, that was obviously during it, which yeah. didn't help anything. No, it didn't help. It, you know, in a time where everyone was learning crisis communication for the first time, you having to make public statements and to membership and, and to the media and all that, I think it didn't help add to it. So I think 2020 is probably a big growing year. A lot of CrossFitters that never really had a practice writing crisis communication and emails and posts and, and thinking about it and running it past. Uh, we had hired a copywriter like a year and a half ago. I was very fortunate for that at the time, someone to compose all my thoughts on BLM and George Floyd and publicly make a post about that for, you know, all this other stuff. Um, but I, yeah, I think a lot of people had a lot of practice with that in crisis communication and, you know, kind of sitting back and then watching, you know, 20 COVID, but this isn't post COVID world COVID's still alive and well, and we're all still dealing with it. But then, you know, everyone else, myself included your gym, everyone just figuring out, okay, we train it with masks on. How is this going? You know how, okay, we got to get back to advertising. We can't just focus on, we got to get new people in. There are some people who want the fitness in person. Let's reach them. Um, so just kind of putting on that, that battle. And then, like I mentioned earlier, we were just simultaneously, um, cooking up the, the license model and, and trying to time the, the drop of that towards the end of 2020, which we successfully launched. So, so let's talk about that. You know, you, you were telling me there's kind of a, a few different paths that a box owner takes and you've been in all of those positions as have I, except for the licensing model, but I want to hear kind of what your three positions are and, sure and pieces of advice you would give to, to the box owner to either avoid or purposefully make it happen. What most micro gym owners don't hear when they're getting started with this is someone telling them dead to their face. You have three options to go with this uh, in the future. Um, let's make it four. Uh, the first one is you grow this thing successfully. You hire a great staff underneath you and you're a removed owner. You're around when you want to be around. You collect the money you want to collect based on the, the success of the business and you're there. The caveat to that, you're only one or two, maybe three full-time people removed from having to be back into it. And HR, for a successful business, HR is the hardest thing. Immature businesses still on their growth trajectory. Sales is the hardest thing. Retention is the hardest thing. Marketing is the hardest thing. Once you, When you really talk with a successful business owner, their biggest headaches are HR-based. That's it. That's the number, like keeping great people, finding even people even better, whatever it may be. Um, so there's that route and you'd be the removed owner who could always have to get back into the game when the bench falls thin. Number two is you go ahead and you, uh, you create corporately owned stores. You open up multiple locations and you hope you can replicate that magic across a territory. That's very difficult, very high risk. And number three, you can replicate your model to a point 
where you don't open up any more stores. You go ahead and say, hey, I've created this name and I have this recipe, not new ingredients. There's still squats or this or that or whatever. It's just a different recipe and a completely different class experience. If you don't believe me, come and try my thing. Come down and visit. And if you're interested, I'll if you pay me enough money, I'll let you open this in your city with a licensed model, not a franchise, but a license. Franchising is very expensive, very involved. Licensing is what CrossFit is. It's what Calvin Klein is. It's what Walt Disney is. Licensed models, OPEX, NC Fit, similar. Hey. And then I mentioned a fourth one. The fourth one is you hand your business down to your kid or something. You sell it, right? You exit it in a sale, which we all know micro gyms, single location or not. It's not a seller's market. You're going to get raked over the coals if you try to sell your single location micro gym in 95% of cases, or you hand it down to your family and it becomes a family business. Yeah. I'd love to talk about all four of those. You know, that, that last one that you talked about selling, I get I get hit up probably hmm, two or two, two to three times a week because I sold three affiliates and like you've sold yours for this much money. Like I got lucky, you know, right place, right time, right, yep. right buyer. And yeah, most people that are selling their box, it's their baby. And they put this incredibly, I, I'd say this goes for any small business. Really, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, Do you, you, uh, so if we, we can start there and work backwards on the selling it a kind of scenario, the problem there and what, you know, you either have created something so special in there that it, it extends beyond Jason, right? Like that's the thing is like, no one's going to buy anything where you are the, still the secret ingredient. Cause if you remove that secret ingredient, the value proposition of the business plummets. So it's gotta be something where like, I've really gifted these coaches to be the mayor of this place. You know, the, this business is autonomous in the fact that I can walk away from it. I always, and I, I don't laugh, but I always like, I, I always have a come to Jesus moment with somebody when I, someone says, I want to sell my gym. And I'm like, cool. The first question I ask, how many hours a week do you work in it, in it? They're like 41. I'm like, okay, so if yeah. you sell to someone, you are now selling them a job. That's right? what most people don't grasp. Yeah, you're yeah. buying a job. You're like, okay, well, if you're, if you're doing 41 hours a week and you're no longer there and I buy it from you, who's going to do those 41 hours? He's like, well, you could hire somebody. Like, do you just see how that adversely changes the value proposition of this business? Because I now got to pay someone a salary to work 41 hours a week of the job. I want to see that you're handing me a, a turnkey business, right? So that's, that's on the sales side. Take it down to number three, the franchise uh, licensing model. Um, with franchising, you have to get franchise disclosure docs. You have all these very expensive things. We were about like almost 40-ish, 45% of the way through that entire process when COVID hit. And I didn't believe that the price tag I was looking, which was going to be around $250,000 to open up in our movement, I didn't think the market would support that in a post-COVID post -COVID, you know, intra-COVID world. So we went the licensing route after talking with a lot of people smarter than me. Um, and, but that's, you have to have something that's truly unique. You know, you mentioned earlier, I don't like the gyms that get rid of CrossFit and still do CrossFit. I am the exact same way. Having hosted enough level ones and twos and traveling and seeing thousands of gyms, there is no way that I would ever even think of building a business model on CrossFit in its sense. Now we could say that everything is constantly varied functional movements at high intensity, orange theory. You know, you could argue the functionality of the movements, but it's still constantly varied functional movements, high intensity, everything in the boutique fitness space is. There's no new ingredients, only new recipes. So, Marcus, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. What were you going to say about Marcus? I was saying, I just, uh, I interviewed Marcus the other day and um, I mean, him were jamming and Marcus has not done a single thing different in the terms of ingredients only in the recipe. He's using the same tools and same movements that you and me could, we could totally stumble into a CrossFit gym if you, Jason and Stu went on a tour and find upside down kettlebell pressing and tempoed landmine squats. We could. That's Absolutely. Not, yeah. It's his recipe for it that's unique. Just like pizza. Pizza is the same ingredients everywhere. Some ingredients are better than others, but it's preparation. Is it thick crust or thin? Is it wood-fired or, you know, nuked? What, whatever it is, it's the recipes that are unique. And that's what you have to actually create if you're in the microgym model. You got to create a recipe that's unique, not just from a fitness prescription, but from a client experience and a delivery. So, so talk to me about that now that you're a licensed-er. Yep. What, what are the secret sauce things yeah, that go into urban movement to, we to make somebody want to, yeah. you know, I, for example, we go back to number four, Hey, you want to buy my gym? And I remember having conversations with people like that were trying to sell me their gym. 
And I say, why would I buy your gym when I can open down the road and, and do the same thing? Exactly. So, so what makes you guys unique when you're doing that? You know, and I wonder, I think Fern stopped by. He came, he was just in town for something. I think he just stopped in. Uh, I don't know whether he took a class or just like hung out to watch a class or something. This is like maybe two, relatively soon, two years ago. Um, but we started with tempo training. So I looked at everything I started doing. In 2014, I started changing the way we delivered CrossFit. 2017 was the official rebrand and the dropping of the affiliate, essentially. Um, and the thing I kept tying myself to, the speed at which we were moving, I thought was too fast. I thought it was too fast in a strength component. I thought it was too fast in a Metcon component. So I'm a huge Poliquin, Ian King fan, huge tempo training fan. Like nothing excites me more than doing a squat where I have to go down in four seconds, hold for four seconds, and come up in four seconds. I get to use less weight. I get to focus more on my technique. My joints don't hurt long as much. And I actually get a higher sense of hypertrophy because I'm spending more time under tension than the quick, you know, the fast hip squats, pop the hip back down, crash the bottom, bounce up, you know, the stretch shortening cycle on repeat over and over and over again, like we see in, in a fast CrossFit Metcon. So tempo training became this thing. So we started looking at King's work and Poliquin's work, and we created based on their science that every strength training rep should cost, should take four seconds, every rep. So we have different tiers. So we have our hypertrophy, muscular endurance, absolute strength, so on and so forth. And we have created various tempo protocols based on which one of those we're in. We have three styles of class urban movement called sprints, builds, and grinds. And for my CrossFit friends. Sprints would be like a Fran. Builds would be like your average 20-minute uh, Metcon. And a grind would be like Murph. So we're talking very anaerobic, uh, you know, a little bit more glyco, and then very oxidative on the far end. And that's an and, everyday track? They do the same style of workouts daily? Nope. So like one day will be sprint, one day will be build, one day will be grind in a completely random assortment. We release that workout um, prescription a week in advance. So this week, Monday's a sprint, Tuesday's a build, Thursday, whatever it may be. But they're coming and, in. So someone's coming in and hitting all three styles. Uh, if they show up in a given week, not in one right. day, they're only hitting the one. Gotcha. Yeah. In the one day, they're only hitting the one, whichever one we decided. And based on those three styles, there's various tempo prescriptions for movements. Some movements don't have tempo. A slam ball, we're not doing any tempo with, okay. right? Now, a burpee, we actually don't do regular burpees. We only do a hand release push-up burpee. And we will crib it. I don't believe, I think it's absolutely insane to uh, Scotty too hotty, the worm onto the floor. Hey, I get that reference. Must be there we go. I knew you would, dude. I knew I dropped that for you specifically uh, and hit the worm. It's like, no, if we're already on the floor and the pushup, I think I could show up in any CrossFit gym in the country and judge everyone's pushups and find a laughable metric. Pushups are just something I think we overlook by and large. So Boom. We'll go ahead and we'll do a hand release push-up burpee with a three-second down tempo, two-second up tempo, right? Or something like that based on which kind of prescription we're going, whether it's hypertrophy or absolute strength, whatever it is. Um, and then we always have an ERG built into it. We have a 50% ERG model. So ours is a pick a spot and we've, oh, we've had pick a spot since 2019 even. Uh, this is not a COVID thing where you have an app, you pick, I'm in spot number 16 and number 16 is I'm on the bike. And then that's the erg you're on. So every workout has an erg component to it within the workout. Um, every single workout. Every workout has an erg. Every workout. So um, it, because it's like a blend of the Orange Theory. Yeah. So like if, yeah, if you think about every time you go to Orange Theory, you're going to run and row and then hit the weight room. Very similar. Just every time you come in, you're always going to have an erg. And then you switch what erg you pick the erg. We don't care if you only. We have some people that only use the runner only use it. I don't care. It's not, I don't care. Oh, so when you say erg, it's, it's basically a monostructural piece of equipment. You're Correct. using either the, the C2 bike. Yeah. C2 bike, C2 rower, C2 ski erg, and then an air runner by assault. So can you give me some example workouts? One from, would you call them sprint? Sprint building ride. So here's also a great, so, here's, here's a plug. So we're doing a 20 day tempo training challenge. If you go to urban movement over the next 20 days, we're dropping 10 tempo training workouts and we're doing it for people in the fitness industry who have heard of urban movement. And they've heard me talk about this, but they're like, what's so special? Let me try the workout. And how do we prescribe tempo? So for example, uh, we would look at a workout like Fran and we would do it something like this. We would do a, uh, maybe a build and in a build workout, there's an element of the workout that is going to continually build in either intensity, in repetitions, 
in duration. There is a ascending, you know, we've all seen those rep schemes, two of this, then four of that, then six of this, then eight of that. Yeah, like that the open time, style where it's three, yes, six, very, nine, yes. Right. So we have that in every build. There's some increasing element. The tempo could increase, whatever it may be. So we would go ahead and say, all right, you're going to move for six minutes. You're going to rest for one. And we're going to go ahead and do that for four total rounds. In that moving for six minutes, that interval, you're going to perform, uh, let's call it three thrusters going down in three seconds to the bottom of the front squat, hold for three seconds, come on out and hold the barbell overhead for three seconds. Okay. So we're getting six, nine, seven, nine seconds a rep. All right. It's time under tension too. Tons of time under tension. And you're going to do five of those. All right. Then you're going to set the bar down. We never drop the bar from overhead. You're never, ever, ever allowed to drop a barbell from overhead or from the hip. It has to be placed back down. What about, I mean, it happens accidentally. What do you do? Never, do you never at my gym. You would never see it done at urban movement. It, it's like, it would, it's, um, it's actually like a thing. Like if you do people are like, bro, what were you too weak to put your bar down? It's, the joke is put it back where you picked, but where you got it, the floor. Because the thing is, is when we press overhead and then you drop it, bro, you just missed out 50% of the exercise. The eccentric loading, bringing that back to the shoulders is so important. I used to have that conversation when people would argue like, hey, should I break up these cleans? And I was like, if you have to, A, you're not good enough. Sure. Because the best don't break them. But B, if you're always dropping the clean, you're never getting that eccentric Oh, you mean like doing singles? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my, that's just the absolute worst. Um, it, back in the day when I was crossing, we experimented with it. We had how many people want more better strict pull-ups? Cool. So every time you press the bar overhead, it had to come back down in four seconds. And if everyone's visualizing this with me or do it with me, kids, press yeah, overhead. And yeah, it's up there. You go it, eccentrically loading a barbell back to your collarbone and not rebounding it. You know where the girls have the bruised collarbones and their husbands are like, "Where do you go after school or after yeah, work to work?" I get those elbows up, get those shoulders yeah. there. So, so but, yeah. but I, anyway. I want to touch on something we were we were saying. I think. You know, because every every year, whether it's at the open or just times where like the, the class is busy, you're like no dropping. But they're your your typical CrossFit athlete has kind of been taught to drop. Seasoned. They've been trained. Yeah. So you've got these people that have never done that. Do you have bumper? Well, I, are they are you using bumper plates? Oh yeah, we have bumper plates. Yeah. So they, you know, to, they could be dropped, but they've never been taught 100%. to do it. Yeah. Yep. We train them. Well, actually, we we do no maximal liftings. There's no one RMs or anything like that in an urban movement. So, um, anyway, so like that would so you do the thrusters, and then we'd have some tempo pull up. Again, you you guys really want to get good at pull ups. You want I don't care anything in your upper body, your scaps. You want that shoulder impingement syndrome to go away. Hang out at the top of the pull up longer. I didn't mind the butterfly pull up when it came out when Dutch Lowry did it back in the day with every second counts. I didn't mind it. What I didn't like is that it spent the least amount of time. In the most the most difficult and the most important part of the pull up, which is it is you know elbows retracted back, full scapular retraction, chin over bar, chest to the bar. It sped through that so that you could beat you know the slap dick next to you in the workout. By the way, you're dropping names, people people aren't going to recognize. Dutch Legos, you guys go watch Savans, one of his first CrossFit movies he ever made called Every Second Counts. I think it's on YouTube these days. Yo, dude, I I probably watched that no less than a hundred times in 2006, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, that's when the butterfly pull up was invented for all you guys who want a quick little history lesson from some of us older folks here on the, on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, so I, so all of our pull-ups, you have a tempo at the top and you'll also have upward, you know, eccentric and concentric tempos. So you'll do five tempoed pull-ups as well after those five tempoed uh, thrusters. And then you'd move on to an erg for about 10 or 12 calories, something like that. And you'd move for six minutes on that scheme. You'd rest for one and you'd do it again with the goal and a build being sustainability since the rep scheme is getting higher and higher and higher. You can't go out the gate quick because, bro, it's about to get harder every round. The reps are going to increase. So let's say it was, you know, three reps in the first round, four reps in the next, five. So what you know how they, everyone knows how that works. So that would be an example of a, uh, our version of a Fran or how we would take our, your shit and convert it to mine. So sounds like one of the things you probably have to coach the most is keeping people on the tempo. Because technically, wouldn't you say everyone should be getting about the same score? Yeah, because there is no score. We don't we don't measure score. Nobody even knows score is a thing. We there is zero performance tracking to that degree. Twice a year, we do something called Moving Day. Moving Day is a six part workout, and we measure different things. 
That's the only time we keep score. And some members might opt their analytical. They go and they record their workout in whatever fitness app they want, but it is not a part of the culture or whatever it is. It's coming and work out. This is a pillar of your schedule. Kind of, we talked about that before. Um, and people say you start learning because we do. The other thing is, I think you and me can both agree on this. You probably could do the same 12 exercises. Like we could probably narrow it down to about 12 to 15 exercises that if you just did over and over and over and over again for the rest of your life, you would be insanely fit, super healthy, and probably pretty injury free due to you'd get very versed in doing those movements perfectly. Urban movement has a has a pretty large equipment li- or movement library. But we do. We do a lot of the same movements over and over and over again. You know, we have 13 different versions of vertical pressing, right? Half kneeling, upside down, you know, strict, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, it's uh, there is no no score is attributed to that, um, and that's a really nice thing too because for us, we want to get people in and then get them out. And I want people to then, as soon as class is over, I want them to high, you know, well, used to high five, get their cold sweat towel, thank their coach, walk out with a big smile on their face. I want them feeling better walking out than when they walked in, but I want them to immediately be able to go to that next thing in their life. Cause for our members, life continues. The second class is over. There should be, we want them to have something more important in life happening next. Their new business, their new kid, their new girlfriend, they bought a car, whatever it is, they're going to watch the Cleveland Browns win the, you know, the playoffs this weekend. Like whatever it may be, they have something more important. We don't want to be the most important thing in their life. We want to be just this amazing pillar of their life. Yeah. And I recently read, I think it was on active life. Uh, you know, you should leave the gym being able to do more. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. If it's like, oh man, I'm not gonna be able to work today. But like, bro, your workout made it. So you couldn't take a zoom call. Come on yeah, now. Come on now. Like, and then here's the thing. Emptying the tank every now and then is good. That's why we have sprint days. Our sprint days are all out, very short interval, no tempo, like all out movements, but there's no movements that you would never, you're not doing deadlifts in a sprint day. You're not doing, uh, you know, barbell loaded squats in a sprint day or pull-ups in a sprint day. You're doing these fun metabolic movements. Like I mentioned, like slam balls earlier, kettlebell swings, things you wouldn't prescribe tempo to, but pretty much 80% of our library, 85% of it is tempo based. Yeah. And I mean, at 42, I know for me, there are days that I go into the garage. I purposely don't go to the box, try to breathe through my nose, the entire workout. And that's kind of my way of, uh, self-regulating, you know, before this, I did fight gone bad. I was mouth breathing. I was going hard. I was going all out. You know, but yesterday I did a you know pretty chill workout, and I think that's one thing. You know, I, for the record, I do believe CrossFit talks about it when they talk about relative intensity. I just don't think anybody grasps that and thinks I need to. We think relative intensity like an eighty-year-old grandma, when really, hey, 35, 42 forty-two-year-old men, you need to purposefully keep your intensity relative on specific days. I, uh, I'm going to give an analogy and, and hopefully let me know if this is, you think this is relative because I, I would, I trust your opinion on this one was probably more than anybody's Cro- I, uh, if you've ever driven a Lamborghini or a Ferrari and I, I've, uh, I've driven those at a track before, uh, you get in and they tell you like this car can go a uh, 200 miles an hour right now. You're going to go 57 miles an hour. Okay. Now, but I'm in a Lambo. This Lambo looks at me like the things I can do in this Lambo, I want to go do. And I think that's what CrossFit was. It was like this amazing sports car that you got in and you felt amazing. You were part of a tribe. You've got a belt now. I carry a belt to the gym. It's like I'm a WWF wrestler walking into the gym. I've got shoes now, special shoes. Like you have this entire amazing kit that makes you a fitness superhero. And then to tell people, well, well, go 55. Like cruise, homie. Like there's gonna be like, no, man, I'm here for one hour. I gotta get this. And there's this thing that you told me every once a year that's a really big deal, and people from all over the world are gonna be doing it. No, I gotta go fast now. And and that's how I kind of viewed CrossFit. Is like, you're right, relative intensity, but how, you know, it's not easy to get someone in a Lamborghini and tell them to go 55. Yeah, I'll tell you what makes it easier: getting older. <laughs> <laughs> Biology, and, yeah. yeah, life happens, and then just. Luckily, I think I've, I've realized that pretty early on, but I think for most, it's either they're aging, at which point they let their ego get in the way and they stop. They're like, well, I can't do CrossFit anymore because I'm older, not realizing, no, you can, just Mondays you go hard or sprint days, you know, whether it's at your box or it's Fran or a fight gone bad and or you get injured and you're like, okay, I learned my lesson. And 
people think it's strange that I purpose, like I always take two full rest days, like go for a walk or, you know, go stretch or something, but choose rest before rest chooses you. I just think, I think that idea of relative intensity, you know, Fern and I talk about it a lot. You know, I think you and all of us are in agreement there. hundred percent. You know, people, people and, and box owners are guilty of it. I mean, I've been guilty of it. We're now so was I. similar to you. I think we have that same mentality of, you know, we like to call it the best hour of their day. I agree. There should be better things. Like if you're truly living a, a good life, like your family is better than the time in the box, you know, or you have meaningful work and, and that it's, it's, you know, it's, it's semantics. It's a cliche statement, but this should add value to your day. It was to, to stay in this car analogy. I've never, and I know a lot of people who own Tesla's, I've never heard one person brag about the Tesla with how fast it goes, but do people realize how fast Tesla's actually are? They're insanely fast. No one ever talks about it. They talk about why it makes their life better. They love these different features, whether they can do it autonomously and drive, whatever. Like, there's No one ever talks about the speed of it. And I, and I do. I think a lot of what I found, at least when I did Urban Movement, and I was coming up with a training methodology that was birthed from my renaissance of with my experience with CrossFit, was I love this constantly varied functional movements, a high intensity thing. I want to take those ingredients and create my own version of my own style of pizza with the, with this. And there will only be a small subset of people who want to taste it. Right. And those are going to be people who, uh, our number one client is someone graduating from an orange theory or an F 45 or a berries, but they do not want CrossFit. That's our number one client. We don't do starter fitness. We're not taking people 40 pounds overweight. That's not our, that's not our jam. Um, and then number two, people backtracking people in CrossFit, they were in it and either burnt out or they were in it, but they never really got this whole like competitive thing. And they stuck around because their friend was there. But then after their friend moved to Georgia, they're like, all right, I'm canceling my gym membership. I was never really into this culty kind of thing. And I'm not into the open, but I do enjoy a barbell. I've learned to like that. Thank you, CrossFit. I, I like that, but I, I don't want it as much as you, the, how extra this is. That's our clientele. And, and with this, I think gyms that, you know, the, going back to our original origin of this, the license model and coming up with something unique, a unique recipe, take those things. And then how would you, what, how much cheese, how much pepperoni, how much sauce, how would you prepare this differently for someone who's in that category? Asking Marcus, you know, he said, you know, he's like, I was my biggest experimenter. I didn't like come up with a program that I thought was going to, people were going to want. I just like, this is what made me feel good. I'm a high level six time games, CrossFit athlete. And my body really hurt. And I was tired of competing. Like I was just burnt out of going a million miles an hour. And what I started doing in the gym as an experiment became functional bodybuilding. I didn't set out to create it. And that same thing happened with me. And when I got rid of CrossFit Southam, I stopped. I, I have not now for probably four years done a regular burpee, like going back to my push-up burpee experiment. One day I just said, my push-ups aren't that great. Like they're okay. They could be better. I'm never doing another burpee. Every time I get my face down there, I am doing a controlled hand release push-up burpee. And, and I mean, like my push-ups are probably the strong, one of the strongest things I have now. And I feel, I mean, like, and I just, it's, it was just one of those little like light bulb moments. And that's just one example of many. Kipping was another one. I was the biggest advocate for kipping after you have strict and kipping with the good mechanics. I wasn't, I didn't like the butterfly kip for GPP. I like the C kip, the traditional C kip of old school. That's my one. I want no bend at the knees, no bend at the, I want a nice hollow body. And then at some point you get to it as like, I remember watching Donnie Forbes actually. So we, you and me both a mutual friend of ours. I watched Donnie Forbes crank out 30 strict pull-ups as fast as anybody doing like a, a, a kipping pull up. Like, oh, let's just it. be clear. If they know Donnie his Forbes, arms. very short. <laughs> it's very short arms. Okay. We're going to, we're going to give him the arms. But I was watching that. I was like, I think I'd rather, I would give myself more props and I probably would like the way I looked with my shirt off. And like, uh, if I would, could do 15 to 20 unbroken strict pull-ups. And then when I died out of those, I could resort to a really tight C kip, right? Something just, you know, where the, I'm still, the kip is helping me 30 to 40% at that point versus jumping on the bar and trying to make this orbital oval as fast as I can without cracking my chin into the boba. And I just, I, that was another light bulb moment. I'm like, done it. I'm not kipping again. That's it. I think that's a mistake a lot of CrossFitters do make once they, you know, quote unquote, graduate or advance yeah. to a faster version of a movement. 
they never look back. And I think, you know, I, I, I like that. I like everything you're saying. And, you know, there's obviously going to be plenty of listeners who are like, this is cool. I'm taking a lot. What, how can I implement it? I'm going to stick with CrossFit. Well, sure. have days where you do a strict Fran or a strict Cindy or whatever that workout is, or incorporate hand release burpees. I think that's great. I think, you know, that's, that's a problem, you know, because you're, you can lose that strength too. You can, you can develop the strength for your strict pull up, graduate to kipping, then butterfly. And if you're never doing the eccentric loading, like you said, you're always dropping a bar or you never test your, I lost my kip for, you know, for some time and I had to go back and revisit it. And you forget, Hey, this traditional kip or gymnastics kip, like you're referring to, you know, lends itself to the muscle up, lends itself to, to many other movements. And it's, you know, I, I got in the CrossFit back when you had to go to a globo gym and do it and me CrossFitting and kipping and box jumping on a, on a bench in between some big massive dude repping out three fifteen. That was a spectacle. And people were very curious and they'd come up and ask me and I had this very cool moment. Well, fast forward to today, you probably get labeled if you do that, the YMCA is more of a douche than anything else. There's like, there's plenty of gyms for you to go do that shit. And man, you don't have to come here and brag with it. In retrospect, I recently went to, um, meant to go work out with some friends at a gym during an open gym session. And it was all cross, like still current passion crossfitters and me. They told me what the workout was. I said, cool, I'm just going to tweak a few things, guys. Just it's, you know, for myself. And they're like, yeah, you know what you're doing. Scale accordingly. And I think they thought I was going to like, you know, scale, uh, you know, a traditional scaling option. And I took the hang cleans. And as soon as I caught the bar, I did a five second descent, a fast explosion out, um, on the muscle ups. I did strict muscle ups on them. I lowered the reps down. And by the end of it, someone came up and goes, what workout was he doing? And they're like, oh, he was doing our workout. He just had done it a bunch differently. And I had four or five of their people, their members and friends coming up be like, whoa, 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 whoa. That was you did, you did those strict. I saw you going super. So why weren't you going fat? And they were not even, they didn't even want to talk to the top coach who just had crushed this workout going as fast as possible. They were, it melt made me feel like what I felt back in Globo gym day, people wanting to come up like, what is it you're doing? I'm like, I'm doing, I'm doing what you could be doing in your CrossFit classes. I'm just doing it based on what I want. I want isometric holds. I love a good isometric hold in multiple positions. Give me a muscle up where I get through in my chest and I stay there for three seconds in the catch and then dip out of it. And then a nice eccentric dip down, boom, nice false grip. Oh my God. All day, every day versus, you know, an Alex, nothing against Alex Smith, but like these Alex Smith gymnastics routines where I've got this giant kip, you know? Um, anyway, I, that was just an interesting moment uh, well, recently that I had. And it goes back to the, you know, a lot of, the good from CrossFit has come from the explosion of the games. It's opened the eyes of a lot of people, but there's also that downfall. And, and like you said, and I'm very guilty of it to this day, I go to the box and you might tell me, Hey Jay, do it this way. But then I see Randy next to me and I want to beat him. So, you, you know, I think a lot of what you're saying can and should be incorporated from the top down, but yeah. it's a matter of ego they, they, you know, boxes forget, Hey, it's okay to not run the clock today, or it's okay to, force people to use a tempo during a workout. I think, you know, we could take a lot from this and either incorporate it or, you know, if, if certain people want to make that shift, that's great as well. But a lot of what you're saying is stuff that can and should be done regularly. And we've been talking about this from a fitness perspective, from a business perspective, I held um, a conference back in October of 19 and I had about 40 gym, 40 gym owners come in at this one point, we had about a hundred there from all around the world. And I had them watch one of our lifted move classes with tempo training. And the number one thing is everyone goes, I can totally see how if I had this style of workout, I would close more deals, more memberships than what I have. The average CrossFit class, if I just walked in, anyone just walked into the warehouse or the doors, whatever, at any given time, it, it looks like uncontrolled chaos. To all of us in the know, we understand. But as a business owner, I need my prospect member who has walked in and is not yet a customer of my tribe to have a better understanding. So when you walk in even to the middle of a grind, which is our longest workout that we offer in the three styles, you see people who are exhausted. They're already 22 minutes into a workout. Everyone's still moving slow and steady and methodically. And someone, a prospect can look at that and say, holy shit, I can, I, you know what? I, I think I can do that. That doesn't look too bad. Now, in my head, I'm like, oh, lady, those people are dying in there. Trust me. But it's way less intimidating than the kid who is wielding a barbell at 100 miles an hour with some janky technique because he's, you know, six into the eight rounds of this crazy chipper workout. 
Yeah, no, I think there's, there's a, a tremendous amount of value there. So, but before we wrap up, I want to talk about the other, you know, we've only managed to talk about two, selling yeah. and the license. Let's talk about the other two. Corporately owned boxes, um, you know, opening up your own place, especially right now, guys, I don't know how bullish you are on uh, on opening up more commercially brick and mortar based facilities. Most people are not. Uh, the commercial real estate market in the United States has not dipped at all. I'm very much in this world. I own my commercial property and we're doing other, other deals here in the future. And we are not seeing any dip in commercial real estate. Like some markets softened a few points, but nothing. So commercial real estate is still crazy expensive. And it's the thing that shut down most gyms. They couldn't get a break from the rent, their number one expense. So if you want to corporately own all your stores, you better have outside funding because it's you don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul. This is the mistake. You probably have seen this. CrossFit box A is super successful. So I opened up another CrossFit box B, but I don't have CrossFit box B doesn't have its own money. So I rob from CrossFit box A's financial success to pay for CrossFit box B. That is a guaranteed way to end up on a call with me fucking six months later. And you're wondering how to liquidate CrossFit box B or A because you fucked up. You oh. never rob Peter to pay Paul. Not only um, have I seen it, I've done it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, when we open our, and I wound up having to sell it to my partner because I was just funding it. And it's, yes. you know, you, you open for an it's a separate business. It has to be treated like a new entity it has to stand on its own legs. It can't get propped up by its big brother. Yeah. We get questioned all the time about, you know, one, or people come to us without even opening the first, Hey, I want to open five or I want to open three or I want to open my second. And we're like, no. I yeah. new new client I just took on. He owned again. He was about to do that. We got working together right at the right time, and um, and it, one of his colleagues didn't heed the advice I gave them, and so went off and did it. And I mean, obviously the pandemic hit, and he lost everything in that, and it was just really tragic and sad. So that's number two. That's why corporate owned is difficult. It's what we call OPM, other people's money. Instead of opening up multiple urban movements, I you know if, on my dime, I'm going to lease out at twelve thousand dollars a year as our license model. Um, and we're going to lease those out and have, people could have those on a one-year membership. And, um, and that's that. So you do it on other people's money, grow the brand, just kind of like CrossFit did. Um, and then number one is obviously you grow it and then you put staff in place. Amazing people. I've had my GMs going on 10 years. My other GM is going on five with me, but nine in general in the industry. Uh, and they're great people. But at some point at 10 years in, they have kids now, they have mortgages and guess what they don't want to fucking do. They don't want to roll up the bay doors at 430 in the morning. That's the nature of everyone. There is an evolution of a job, but at a micro gym level, you have a ceiling. Where are they going to go beyond GM? Uh, I'll open up a second location and they can oversee two locations. Great. So you gave them the same job, but just twice the risk. It's the same job. It's now you're over two locations, but doing the same thing. Now, are there some career GMs? I believe there are. And that was my goal back in the day at Gold's Gym. Yeah, to be a career GM. But <laughs> I think that sounds beautiful when you're 24 and young and no kids. It's so it's, funny how I like looked up to the GM. I was like, this yeah, dude I'm going to have that shit it. one day. He has yeah. got it made. Making $36,000. Yeah. You know, he gets to work at a gym. And, and they're always the people that stopped working out. Like they weren't in shape. So now my team is event, you know, they'll eventually just be handling all of the business support of the the license model. I wanted to make sure the license was different than CrossFit, different than NC Fit. So we're doing some unique things. Um, complete geographical protection. Only one urban movement license per city limits. So if Jason does it and you want to have it for Cleveland, Ohio, you will be the only urban movement licensee in Cleveland, Ohio. You can open up as many as you want, Jace. But but you no one else can. Correct. I will never let anyone come in and fight. That's your spot. That's I want to give you all the success. All the business support that we created for the franchise was just sitting there. All the PDFs, all the marketing material, all the videos, the online remote coaching app, like or the online uh, remote fitness app, what we call Movement Anywhere. It's all done. Well, you're going to get that too. Like, because I have it sitting there. Why not give it to them? Even though everyone was like, you should charge a lot more. Now, 12 grand is expensive, but you're going to for all this stuff that you're going to have it, it's it, it's not and then also you get all the the trademark stuff all the all the fun legality things so people can't steal your shit i mean do you mean we send cease and desist left and right to people who have steal hashtag sweat local or we, i mean i've literally had people steal the logo like the exact logo and put like a mountain movement in colorado with the same square and everything we have to hit them with a c and d hey, like, i know that guy yeah um, <laughs> well and, and that was kind of you know what i wanted to ask how how do you 
you know, at the end of the day, like you said, it's all functional movement. Yeah. You can get away with doing CrossFit. Just don't use the word Fran or Diane sure. or, or whatever. S- same, same with urban movement, right? I can, I can get a bunch of barbells and say, Hey guys, today we're doing thrusters, four down, pause, etc." Sure. It, it still wouldn't look like an urban movement. You guys still have a rig. We have completely, we actually have a brand new, it's not a, we, we got rid of the rig and every pick a spot. It's an eight by six square. Our app, you pick that spot and everything is right there in your square. We don't use seven foot barbells, right? Like we have the five foot ones. We're actually working on even a different one from that. We, everyone has two sets of gymnastics rings, a low set and a high set. Obviously allowing the high set allows you to, it's eight feet up there. You can jump up or step up with a box for your high ring stuff. The low set, if you need to do one of our five pull-up modifications, or we're doing some low ring core based stuff, isometric holds or whatever it may be. Um, you walk into an urban movement, it will, you would never confuse it for a CrossFit. You wouldn't walk in and say, oh, this is just like a CrossFit gym. You'd walk in and say, like, I've seen this stuff, but we have CrossFitters come in that, because I've been at a coffee shop on site, that come in and go, what are you guys doing back there? Like, I recognize your tools, but that's not CrossFit. Like, I've lost sales. People come in, CrossFitters, try urban. And they go, it's not for me, man. Why? It's not CrossFit enough. I'm like cha-ching. That's when you know. So for anyone thinking about creating their own recipe, number one, if you currently have a membership base that's CrossFit, you're going to have bloodshed. You will lose people. The number one cancellation back in 2017, 40 people canceling overnight. It's not CrossFit anymore. And where do they go? They went to my friend's CrossFit gyms here in Charlotte. And, and that's what you need. So like, again, you can't just throw tempo in there. It's still going to be CrossFit. You have to go through a painstaking process because I promise if any gym's listening to this and they instantly switch to my tempo training overnight, you'd have some pissed off customers because that's not what you've been feeding them for years. You would have to condition them over time to understand why you're doing it. The day I said no dropping barbells, do you think I just said, hey guys, you can't drop the barbells anymore? Number one, I think it's douchey. Number two, it's too loud. Number three, I don't want to buy new equipment. No, I said we're doing a grip training cycle and an eccentric loading cycle for 12 weeks. Every deadlift, double overhand grip, no flip grip, hand release at the bottom of every rep. It's going to increase that grip strength. It's going to fix that internally rotated, externally rotated shoulder issue we see with the flip grip, right? Your barbells, you have to lower them down. Why, Stu? I want to drop it again because we're doing this eccentric loading for structural scap strength. I mean, we did this for years slowly rewiring customers, which, you know, retraining a a learned customer is one of the hardest things to do as a business. Absolutely. And, you know, I I think what you're saying is great. It's no different than what we preach. Don't come in and you learn something and be like, we've been doing it wrong. You know, set them up for success, whether it's like you said, specific program specific timeframes, then eventually they learn those things. Do you think some gym owners are afraid to change their mind? Cause they're afraid people are gonna be like, Whoa, you told me one thing six years ago and now you're changing your mind. Absolutely. Like, I, I think it's so silly. Of course. I mean, I, and I've been there and then I realized, I don't remember what it was for the first, it was probably nutrition based or something like, but you told us this. I'm like, yeah. And I've learned better. Like you, you need to be able to say that as a box owner or coach and say, I, I don't think it was a mistake. That's what I believed. You know, now I believe this and, and I want to bring you the best. And if it turns out this is wrong or it turns out I learned something else, I'm going to change that as well. And I'm sure no different to you. You, you went from CrossFit to urban movement and you're going to, it would be silly to say, Hey, I learned, you know, butterfly pull-ups are actually better. But I'm not going to do it because of my ego. Correct. So, you know that I think, and I, I feel like this is where I feel like a little quasi semi fractional grassman. So we had 40 cities apply for an urban movement license. And the thing I realized, guess what? Some of these people are going to have way better ideas as how to do tempo training than I do. And I'm so excited to see, because they're licensed, I can't tell them what to do. That's the, that's the whole rub of this whole thing. Uh, I'm super excited to see how they, what they come up with under the model. And that's improvements to what I currently have, which I truly believe was the, I think I truly like, I like to think that was Glassman's big thing. He knew he was not going to, he had the best ideas how to run a business or whatever. He was, he's leaving that up to all of us to figure out. Um, so that, that is something that, that really does excite me. He wasn't even going to do seminars till TJ Cooper from Jacksonville, Florida reached out to him, you know, and even the seminars themselves, you know, at the end of the weekend, the flow master will say, Hey, we learned we've evolved from you, give us feedback. And, yeah. you know, it, people listen to you, they find you on, you know, WTF gym talk, they find you out there and they're like, you know, Stu's this ginger and he, you know, is mean and rude. 
but you're open-minded and no different, you know, for, for anything you're going to, and you're smart, you're going to be a business owner and you're going to be an entrepreneur and the best entrepreneurs, the best leaders listen to the people that are behind them. And I listen, and I always uh, duly appreciate any time you guys have me on, you and Fern. And while we sometimes we have our differences of opinion, uh, I truly, I respect, I love what you guys have been doing, and I and I love our conversations. I believe the differences of opinion are the only reason we have any of the cool shit in this world. One guy saw it differently than another guy, and uh, yeah, anytime, uh, anytime I come on here and jam with you guys, it's a huge honor, and I appreciate it. Yeah, I've had people reach out to me like, "How do you deal with Fern? You guys are so different." I'm like, "Because we're open minded, and it's <laughs> okay it that somebody, yeah, like there's nothing wrong with what Stu's doing, what I'm doing, what you're doing, so long as you're so open minded. Like, I'd yep. be great if I'm if if one of your you know urban movements does open in Colorado, I'm gonna go over there and check it out. Like, what's the worst that happens? I get a great workout. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much, Stu, for coming on. As always, appreciate it. Best of luck with all that. People can find you out there. Google you. Yep. Look you up on Instagram. I hate doing the whole where you at because yeah, people, yeah. you guys know you got you guys know how to do it. You got you've got social media. You'll figure it out. So they'll find you. And uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you, brother. So you never miss an episode of the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and on all major podcasting platforms at Best Hour of Their Day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the best hour of our day. See you next time.